0: Everybody I was reading this week, of course, was talking about Independence Day, so I will too. I read several things, actually. One of them is my Calvinist guy up in Idaho, Doug Wilson, who taught me something I didn't know about American history, so I will pass it on to you. And then, of course, Ron Dart, who I listened to on the radio at noon, was talking about liberty. So, let's start with Doug Wilson, and what he gives is a brief history of why we came to rebel. You've all heard the phrase, no taxation without representation. That was what I was taught, and it is in fact correct, but that isn't the whole story. The problem wasn't in the United States, the problem was in Great Britain. The Plymouth Colony was established in 1620 when they landed on Plymouth Rock and you know, you all, I presume, still get that in school, all you young people, and each of the thirteen colonies had a charter. Those charters were granted by the king and they varied, in other words, each of the thirteen had slightly different. Some of them were uh, private charters, some of them were royal charters and so forth. I won't go into the differences there. it isn't important for what I want to say. but they were basically granted by the king and each charter set up a local governor, somebody that was the executive in the place. a local legislature, Virginia for example, was the House of Burgesses, but each of the colonies had a legislature according to the charter and then finally local judges. So each of the colonies as it was established got a charter and set themselves up and they were self-governing. And being as how we were colonies of Great Britain, of course, we were required to send taxes, if you will, back to the motherland and, and so forth. That was all cool. The problem occurred in Great Britain what happened was Charles the first was executed by Cromwell in 1649 notice that 1649 is 29 years after Plymouth so what you have is political foment in Great Britain so Cromwell executed Charles the first Cromwell was the Lord protector and Cromwell's son was He was sort of like Hunter Biden, completely unable to rule. So what happened then is Parliament became ascendant, which is pretty much what they have today in Great Britain right now. The king or the queen is pretty much a figurehead. It wasn't quite that strong during this period, but Parliament became the ascendant power, And we had a series of kings that came in, the the Hanoverians, German kings. That's George 1, 2, 3. And you've all heard of the madness of King George? Made a movie about it. He was actually a pretty good king, but he had medical problems. So in Great Britain, what happened was parliament started feeling its oats. And so parliament then turned around and started doing things like levying taxes and sending bureaucrats and all that kind of stuff to the colonies. The colonies said, hey, wait a minute, time out. Our charter is from the king. What are you sending all of these folks and asking for taxes and so forth? What is this? We have our own charter. Because you remember one of the things that happened in the revolution is we want the actual rights of Englishmen the colonists were perfectly happy to be Englishmen but they didn't believe they were being treated like freeborn Englishmen they believed that they were being treated in a way that was unlawful and the way wilson describes it let's say we live here in colorado and all of a sudden we get a tax bill from florida well the problem isn't the size of the tax it may be a very reasonable amount of tax that's not the problem the problem is we don't live in Florida we're not under their jurisdiction so they got no business taxing us that was the problem with the colonies and i never completely understood all of that until I read Wilson's piece which I highly recommend it's on his blog blog and May blog so that was the problem that caused the colonies to rebel they thought they were being ruled unlawfully parliament sends over its own judges its own bureaucrats they have military occupation the business of quartering of troops that we got grumpy about and all that kind of stuff so the colonies were being treated not as freeborn Englishmen with their own charter, they were being treated as a colony. So that's the genesis of the revolution. And one of the things that happened is those in power, parliament, remember the, the, the problem is in Great Britain, the problem is not here in the United States. And so those in power, when the United States rose up and said, wait a minute, what did they do? They cried treason. And what Wilson says is very often people in power who have usurped power then cry treason when you rise up and say, no. This picture behind me is from an old black and white movie, Robin Hood. If you all remember your Robin Hood myth, and Robin Hood is not actual history, it's uh, historical fiction. Richard the Lionhearted was away on the Crusades. His brother, John, assumed the title. Robin Hood said, wait a minute, you're not the right king. And John says, you're a traitor. You speak treason. And Robin Hood says, yes, fluently. And so the point here is when government gets usurped, the usurpers then turn around against the people who want to restore the rule of law and say you're traitors so what actually happened on the 6th of January was that a massive uprising and a rebellion with nobody with any arms and nobody getting killed except one unarmed woman who was killed by somebody in the feds that sounds like a really serious rebellion yet our government is crying treason 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 and the problem is with the rule of law and one of the things that we're seeing in the country right now is that the rule of law is being systematically corrupted lots of examples the feds for example are going after anybody who was in DC on the 6th regardless of whether they actually did anything selective prosecution um, Mr. Trump And the business with New York, as I understand it, ding, 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 everybody understands that this may not be entirely correct. What happened was the state of New York finally got a hold of the Trump Corporation's income taxes. And they discovered that what might have happened was some of the people in the Trump organization had been given free parking. And free parking is a perk that could be taxable. If you get some benefit, you're taxed on it. So the whole idea is apparently Trump organization gave some people free parking and didn't pay taxes on the free parking. So what happens is they haul in the chief financial officer of the Trump organization, handcuff him, run him through a bank of reporters so it goes all over the news they've arrested this guy and what normally happens in a case like that is it's handled administratively we're doing an audit here looks like you should have charged for parking here and paid taxes on that that's a $500 fine and pay the taxes that's the way that stuff is normally handled this is not tax evasion it is a difference in interpretation which is what audits are all about. Yet what we have is the guy is handcuffed and perked, walked through a bevy of reporters and all that kind of stuff. So what you have is selective enforcement of the law. Now, Ron Dart was talking about the Torah. You've all heard this riff before. The Torah is not designed to give salvation. We're starting Exodus. God is going to reach into Egypt and he's going to pull his people out of the world. That's salvation by grace. Israel doesn't do anything either to deserve it or to help. All they have to do is when the right time comes, they get up and leave. That's their entire contribution to their salvation. They get baptized, go through the Red Sea. They come up on the other side and that's when they get the Torah. And what the Torah is designed to do is if you organize your society this way, you will avoid going back into slavery. That's what the Torah is, teaching an instruction on how to live so that you don't go back into slavery. That's it. Now, what happens is you get Karen. You all know the metaphor of Karen. Karen is a meme that is floating around, has been now for a couple of years. And who Karen is, is a bossy white woman who yells at people who are minorities for not following the rules. So you have this bossy, pushy, white woman who goes to a minority. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't barbecue here. And calls the police and all that kind of stuff. So that has now become a meme. And what Karen wants to do is take you back into slavery. So the Pharisees are Karen. And they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, you can't heal anybody on Shabbat? You can't do that? Or when the disciples are walking through a grain field and take some heads of wheat and eat them because they're hungry? Wait a minute, you guys are harvesting on Shabbat. You can't do that. That's Karen. Except they're male and they're Pharisees. So what Ron Dart was talking about, he wasn't talking about in terms of Karen because that term was not in play when he recorded the thing that the gentleman is dead. So what happens when Karen seizes power and you resist, what Karen does is says, you're a traitor. You're being unlawful. You're not following the rules. Now, you have all heard, I am sure, a quote from John Adams where he says that our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other you've, you've all heard that right it's, it, that's not the whole quote it's a much longer quote and it's a quote from a letter that he wrote to the Massachusetts militia. so he wrote this letter on October 11th 1798 to the Massachusetts militia and I'm going to pick it up in the middle the lead in to his quote but should the people of America once become capable of that deep simulation toward one another and towards foreign nation which assumes the language of justice and moderation while it is practicing iniquity and extravagance and displays in the most captivating manner the charming pictures of candor, frankness, and sincerity while it is rioting in the rapine and insolence this country will be the most miserable habitation in the world. Because we have no government armed with the power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion, avarice, ambition, revenge, and licentiousness would break the strongest cords of our constitution as a whale goes through a net our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other that's the whole quote now let's go back and unpack that because what he's describing is where we are today so let's go back and say Should the American people once become capable of that deep simulation toward one another? Deep simulation is play-acting, commonly known as hypocrisy. That's what the word means. A hypocrite is a Greek word for actor. So this deep simulation is you are acting one way and towards foreign nations, which assumes the language of justice and moderation. Is that what we're hearing, the language of justice and moderation? Sure. While it is practicing iniquity and extravagance, have we got somebody that wants to spend how many trillion dollars on infrastructure? Does that sound like extravagance to you? Practicing iniquity and extravagance and displays in the most captivating manner the charming picture of candor. So are we getting the charming picture of candor from News media, government, and so forth. Oh, yeah, we're telling you the truth. You can believe us. Have you heard the advertisements on the radio for MSNVG? Oh, they are just wonderful. Question authority. Check your sources. Who are these people? They're not the ones that you hear on the news. There's a reason it's called fake news. So charming pictures of candor, frankness, and sincerity, that's what that advertisement is. While it is rioting in the rapine and insolence, this country would be most miserable habitation in the world. Look at your cities. Look at the blue cities. And what you have is skyrocketing crime. You've got businesses closing down because they can't afford the shoplifting anymore. I think Target is the latest one that's been run out of Baltimore. I lose track of these. There are several of them They just closed because the shoplifting is so rampant that they can't make any money. And of course the mayor says, oh, wait a minute, you're not supporting the poor areas in our city. True statement. You heard the term food deserts. A food desert is where poor people live and you can't get nice fresh fruits and vegetables. One of the reasons is it doesn't make sense to build a store in that area if you have rampant crime and shoplifting. But the problem is the people who don't build the store because they're discriminating against these poor people. You understand what's going on here? So the words are the language of justice and moderation. But that's not what's actually happening. You see how prescient John Adams was? And you should read the entire quote, not just the little one-sentence soundbite at the end. So, one of the things, as I was saying, is when usurpers seize the levers of power and you want to restore the rule of law, what they cry is treason. Athaliah, the queen in Israel who usurped the position, when they went after her she cried treason treason they took her out and executed her they didn't listen to the cries of treason and the thing about the Constitution being inadequate to bridle a corrupt people the Torah is the same way the Torah is totally inadequate to control and bridle a people who has fallen into corruption and that's, of course, the problem. That's what happens with Israel. Israel goes into corruption. They pervert justice. They prey on the fatherless, the widows, and the orphans. All of those things that we see today in old timey Bible speak was what was going on in Israel. And what God finally does is He says, I've had it up to here. You smell like dirty diapers. Let's go get the Babylonians. You guys can't govern yourselves, so we'll bring somebody in to govern you. That's what the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions were. You guys have become so corrupt that I can't stand the smell anymore. And I am sorry to say that we are probably getting to the same point where we smell so bad that God may not be able to stand the smell anymore. So two things. Thing one is understand when they yell at you and accuse you of racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, transphobia, all of these pseudo-scientific words. Phobia is an irrational fear. So when they call you a homophobe, that means you have an irrational fear of homosexuals. It's pseudoscientific. And what it's intended to do is, oh, wait a minute been diagnosed as ill. No, you're not. So the first thing is understand that you're not crazy. Understand that you're not ill. Understand that you're not weird. Well, you are kind of weird, but you understand what I mean. It's a charming weird. So understand, first off, that these cries of treason, racism, phobia, all of those kinds of things are the cries of a usurper who is trying to get you to give up the cause. So the first thing to understand is you're not crazy. You can believe your eyes and you can believe that this is wrong. Just like the colonists in 1776. They said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a violation of our charter. Our charter is from the king. Who are these yahoo's in Parliament that are taxing us and doing all this other stuff? They don't have jurisdiction. They are violating the rule of law. What we want to do is we want to restore the rule of law to this country, which is why they had a revolution. They are not the traitors and they are not the rebels. The problem is in Great Britain and it's important to understand that. And Doug Wilson, he's a Calvinist, so he's really big on Romans 13, which is don't rebel against the established authorities. And he says, wait a minute. They were the ones who were breaking the rule of law. The colonists were not rebelling against the rule of law. They were being lawful. They're right there with Romans 13. And the second thing to understand is you've got to speak. You've got to say when something is rotten, the problem with all of humanity, not just us, but everybody, is it becomes easier not to say anything. I'll just go along and get along and stay out of the way and I'll keep my head down and I won't say anything. Which is why it's important for those of you who protest at abortion clinics and all those kinds of things you gotta say something and understand that the people who have usurped power are gonna yell at you. They just are. How many screeching moon bats do you see on television every night screaming about whatever and they use the most vile and hyperbolic language It's not simply, oh, I disagree with what you're saying. No, 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 no. You are a racist. You are a rebel. You are a white supremacist. You are a whatever. And it's all hyperbolic, very extreme language. Because people don't like to be yelled at. We don't. Most of us would just like to go along and live our lives, tend our gardens, raise our families, just be left alone. So if you get somebody who's in your face yelling at you, the natural tendency is to back off. And they know that. A guy named Nassam Talib wrote a book, I think it's called The Black Swan. One of the things that he says is the most militant one wins. And the example he uses is they're having a big banquet. And they've invited two Muslims no bacon-wrapped anything anywhere in the place because the Muslims would be outraged. Jews would simply not eat the bacon-wrapped whatever. Okay? Oh, that's bacon-wrapped shrimp. Sorry, I'm not going to eat that. A Muslim, on the other hand, will be indignant. Hence, nobody gets bacon-wrapped whatever because of the two Muslims in the dinner, the most militant one wins. They say that's what made sense. So, go thou out and be militant.